Hey guys, this is Hard Time Strongman, and today we are going over Fieldcraft Fire. Our reference for today is ATP 3-50.21 Survival. And as a friendly reminder, always remain aware of the light, heat, sound, and smell signature a fire causes. I'm excited. I love Fieldcraft. Fieldcraft is such a fun thing. God, you're such a lover. You love everything, especially, dude. It's it's so much fun. <laughs> it just it is. It's hard. It's hard when when we're having so much fun with the project. It's hard not to be excited. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna learn you today. We're gonna teach you about the basics of fire. You know how to maintain your fire site. How to build the fire. The different ways you can actually build the fire. The different ways you can ignite a fire. So by the end of this, you're just gonna be able to know all of these things you're gonna be able to go into the field with confidence knowing that you can build this yeah so our first filter crafting episode that we talked about fire that was a, a kit post a consideration mm -hmm. post this we're actually going to be going into the field craft of fire nitty-gritty the nitty-gritty the itty-bitty bitty itty bitty all right <clears throat> you can tell we're not awake folks but you know it is what it is Hell, we'll get there. Mm -hmm. All right. So uses and benefits. So fire is used as, uh, can be used as signaling. So via the light it produces or the smoke it produces. Think of uh, Tom Hanks, Castaway. Yeah. It didn't work the first time, but it was worth a shot. Yep. And the, the reason it's used as that is just because the, the, um, the properties of light. If you go out in the middle of the night and just start shining a flashlight around. You have a buddy pretty far away. Chances are, if there's nothing in between you, he's still going to be able to see that light, even out to like, I don't know, what would you say, a mile away, two miles away? Oh, more, man, more. Yeah, light, light travels like incredibly easily. far. Yeah, I don't. We had the table in one of our uh, situational awareness. Episodes, oh yeah, we did. I, but I think even Garantham in one of his uh, in one of his videos saying was saying like a. Uh, is either a video or a podcasting like a little signal mirror can push out to like 10 miles. Like just light transmission is dumb. Then of course, you know, but, like getting down to the nitty gritty details on it, like different colors of light too can be seen from further mm -hmm. away. It, not that you really need to know that, but because most of what well, we're going to be talking about here is just going to be yellow light. So fire, like actual like campfire kind of stuff. Yeah. It is important to know though. True. I mean, cause you, you know, that point, I think it's like photonic barriers. <laughs> you can get into stuff like that. I know people like, yeah, about that sort of stuff, but you know, on a practical level, right. Mm -hmm. If you've gone out at night, you know, say you're camping, right. And you have the, you know, your, you know, campfire by your campsite. If you go off to, you know, do whatever, you know, take a wee and you come back. If someone is behind the fire, that you're looking at at night, you will not see them because there's a photonic barrier blocking your sight past the mm. fire. You know, I mean, people, you know, you can nerd about all of this all you want, but you know, there are really, there are really, there are very real consequences that come into play with this sort of stuff. Yeah. Not what we're going into today, but nope, they are there. Yep. We're going into survival. Yeah. So a uh, historical example, I think it was Francis Marion, you know, during the Revolutionary War would actually use uh, campfires to uh, kind of fudge his numbers if he was facing mm -hmm. an adversary at night. So he would have, you know, a few choice men, say, you know, like a team or a squad size element, and they would build campfires, you know, 
obviously more than they needed, but mm-hmm. it would give the perception that their number was greater than it actually was. Uh, fire can be or is a sustained source of heat. So it reduces the amount of energy your body needs to keep warm. So especially in colder environments, staying warm, that costs calories. If you don't have to use as many calories, you know, that's, that's huge. We're talking about calories, time, water. If you can focus on other things than not freezing to death, that's a, that's a really big deal. Uh, You know, obviously fire enables the, you know, gold standard in water purification, boiling, um, again, dry clothing, it prevents, you know, cold injuries like frostbite or hypothermia, uh, you know, utilizing fire, you can use the coals to, uh, dig out structures to make and hone tools. You can use, you know, fire, uh, to repel mosquitoes, animals, you know, predator, prey animals. Uh, you can sterilize medical equipment and just on a more human level, it boosts morale. Kumbaya. Kumbaya. Also, yep. you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for a warm meal after oh, yeah. a couple weeks in the suck. Oh my God. I remember our first meal coming back from the field, that first field problem. Oh mm-hmm. my God. That was yeah, heaven. Nothing better. It was crap, but it was heaven. <laughs> uh, nothing better, man. And, you know, I shouldn't have to say this, but you always need to be aware that, you know, a fire can cause damage to you and your equipment. You know, right. this is an incredible, incredible tool that you need to have that respect for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there was a time um, back when I was younger where we built a campfire out back of the farm, had a bunch of people over and somebody had said, um, keep in mind, we were young. We were dumb. Somebody had said that if you throw a, a bulk can of uh, baked beans on the fire uh, without opening it, it will explode. So we're like, oh, cool. We got a bulk can of green beans from Sam's Club or baked beans from Sam's Club and uh, toss it on the fire. Well, the fire wasn't hot enough. So after a while, the can of baked beans didn't explode. So we poured gasoline on it. Fire got really hot, didn't explode. So we had a friend who walked up to it, walked up with a stick, leaned over the fire, and poked it. Oh, boy. And the second he made contact with it, the can exploded. And outside the military, that was one of the biggest fireballs I've ever seen. Like, he disappeared into this, like, cloud of ash, dust, and fire. And the next thing I saw was him running away, partially on fire. We had him stop, drop, and roll in the back, put him out. He has blisters and scars to this day. It's not, like, horrible, but he got very, very lucky. Actually, if he would have been positioned, if he would have stepped into the fire pit, um, like, three inches to his left, the can would have severed his leg. It shattered brick. What a time to be alive. It pulverized these bricks to dust. So you got to be very, very careful and not be stupid. Yes, it's fun to do stuff with fire. Mm-hmm. Well, always, always have the respect for it. I have a, you know, I have right. a story from when I was a kid, not as nearly dramatic as that. But mm-hmm. uh, we were all camping, me and my family, my extended family, and one of my cousins, you know, 
this was the 90s, right? So she had one of those big poofy coats. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like the, the mm-hmm. neon pink ones. Uh, looked like a Michelin man. But yeah, she was waddling around in that. And you know, we had a you know, big roaring campfire because you know, my dad and all the uncles were there, right? As you do. But she was playing around the campfire and she fell in. Oh, no. And she fell in backwards. Oh, no. And the only thing that saved her, because, you know, my dad and my uncles, like, reached in, ripped her out, you know, ripped right. the coat off her before it can melt to her skin. Only thing that saved her was that she had her hood on. So the fire and the coals ate away the entire coat and the hood. Not a hair was burned on her head. Wow. Yeah. Dude, that's so lucky. That could have turned out so much worse. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, scary stuff, right? Right. You have to have the respect there. But do you want to get into some, you know, just some basics? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So the basics of fire, it's, it's very simple. You need, you need these three things. We call it the fire triangle or just triangle, whatever, however you want to think about it. It's just three things. And if you have these three things in the correct ratio, you can have a fire. You will have fire. Yes. So the first thing you need is fuel. Um, non-gaseous state, because fuel can come in a gas, you know, propane, kerosene, stuff like that. It doesn't burn directly. It's the actual vapors that come off of it that actually burn, catch fire. But you, you need fuel uh, regardless. Um, you need heat. So you need, you need a spark. You need some kind of heat to ignite that uh, that fuel when it produces the gas. And you need oxygen. That is the final key component to the gas to the uh, the fire triangle. So the gas from the fuel, when it combines with the oxygen in the air, it burns at a pretty sustained rate as long as there is fuel and as long as there is oxygen. As long as you have those two things, the fire will continue to burn. If any of those sides of the triangle are removed, the fire will go out. You remove the fuel, fire goes out. You remove the heat, fire goes out. And obviously, if you remove the oxygen, as you probably learned when you were younger, putting out a fire, remove the oxygen, that fire goes out on the spot. Preparing a fire site, uh, you want to make sure that your fire is built on flat, dry ground. You need to have it protected from the wind, whether that's from a uh, you know, a wind stopper like a log or you're protecting it with your body as you're, you know, as you're tending to a new fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, if possible, it's good to have the fuel supply near you. So you're not having to expend those calories, expend that time uh, to gather yeah. that fuel to, you know, sustain your fire. You don't want to be cutting down a tree or cutting up a limb. Right. Right. Uh, you want to make sure that, you know, around a meter, you know, around a yard uh, is cleared around your fire site to protect it from spreading across the ground. Right. That means clearing away any dry, dead debris. Yeah. Any, you know, any straight kindling or, right. you know, whatever, pine needles, leaves, you know, dried grass, you know, clearing away all that because uh, it is so quick, you know, wildfires, you know, it can, if you're not paying attention, it can get out of hand very quickly extremely quickly uh another thing porous rock so uh kind of like spongy type rock should be removed from you know from the area as well so that porous rock can actually store water inside of it and when that's superheated 
that can explode. That's that's actually a real good point. I didn't really think of that. Yeah. And uh, another thing having to do with your site, a fire reflector. So fire reflector, that could be a large stone. That could be a green tree or a mossy dead tree. Anything that reflects the heat uh, back at you. So that maximizes uh, the heat produced by your fire by directing and protecting heat from uh, being redirected by the wind or just radiating away. Uh, like I said, it can be non-porous rock. It can be stacked logs, you know, a sheet of metal, whatever you have available. I, I would definitely say that if you're doing stacked logs, make sure that they are recently like felled logs. Mm-hmm. So green. what we call green. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I think uh, a really good example of that was what episode was that like a season finale of alone where they were in Alaska? Uh, was that like seven season like seven yeah i think like seven or eight it was with that uh i think it was like a seer instructor or a sniper instructor the guy we really liked who right like built his built his shelter around you know that huge rock Mm -hmm. made the chimney and everything fireplace yeah right so entire half of his shelter acted as a heat reflector yeah all right and then with fire building, the base of your fire, what you're actually building your fire on, should be, or, you know, optimally would be a non-porous rock or a flat piece of wood, and that's just to keep your tinder and kindling off of, you know, the ground if it's potentially wet, uh, or could, you know, displace, and a brace. So, brace, uh, good benchmark for that about the width of your forearm and that's laid across the base to help control the oxygen of the fire the kindling and the fuel being worked Um, you can think of it as like a wall it's just an extra hand to help you build the fire up off of uh, helps protect from the wind like i said helps so you can build up off of with the kindling and uh, get hot enough to where you can start using fuel and that kind of brings a point to mind that um, we didn't really cover, and it's the fire triangle is a very uh, is a very delicate thing, where if you have too much of something, the fire will not sustain. Like if you have too much oxygen, say wind, it will it will douse that fire. If you have too much fuel, it will still douse that fire. And if you have too much, well, not too much heat. That's 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 the one thing you can never really have too much of is heat. If you have too much heat, it's still gonna it's gonna burn through the fuel and oxygen pretty quickly, so your fire is gonna go out anyway. But you can never have too much heat when you're starting a fire, right? And you know we say the fire triangle because the sides of the triangle need to be equal. They need to be in balance. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, the you know the triangle will fail. Right. You want to go into so the that, yeah? Go for it. Yeah. So that brings us to the uh, the three phases of the actual fuel itself the first phase is your tender this is usually a very dry material uh made up of like fibers or it can have a but some kind of petroleum based fuel uh, infused into it uh it can be ex- uh, ignited by just a small spark a coal a flame uh, electrical current what have you a uh, damp tender it can be a killer I, I don't know how many times I've, I've watched a movie or a tv show or even alone and seen people trying to light fires with damp tender and it will not light. You have to have an incredible amount of heat. You're not even igniting it. You're drying it out at that point. 
Yeah. You're essentially just drying it out, evaporating the moisture that's in it to allow it to ignite. So if you have damp tinder, you can uh, keep this between layers of your clothing, either on your body or off, particularly off. Um, but you can do it on there because the heat from your body will help um, dry it out. Something else you so, can do is if you have like, uh, you know, dried grass that is damp, you can, if you're can sure that it won't get blown away by the wind, you can lay it out on mm-hmm. like a dark rock or something where it's going to catch all that, you know, all the rays of the sun and right, you know, dry out faster. Yep. Or if you need to collect dry tinder, easy way if you're, you know, say you're walking through dry grass, just uh, kind of splay your fingers out kind of like a claw and walk through the grass and that will that will naturally you know catch any dried uh any dried grass makes it a little faster to you know in the collection process right and some of the many kinds of tinder that you could probably that you should be looking for uh would be bark dead dry grass uh down so you're talking feathers Mm -hmm. um wood shavings Paper, steel wool, pine needles, pine needles. Steel wool is a good one. I actually didn't even think of that one. Um, oh yeah, great thing about steel wool. You know, besides you know catching a spark from like a you know a match or a, what am I trying to say or like a ferro rod, you can actually mm-hmm. use batteries. So like a nine volt battery, you know, you touch oh, the yeah. two ends together. Yeah, and that'll, that's right. And yeah, and that'll that'll create a spark. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, also, one thing you can use is the gunpowder from your ammo. A lot of people don't think of that. I mean, it's it's kind of a catch-22 because a lot of times people don't want to save their ammo for survival purposes, for hunting, what well, have you. Well, and it will burn but, very, very quickly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you can just remove the actual round itself from the casing and pour your gunpowder out and ignite that. Uh, you can also use fuel tabs. So that brings us into the second phase. The tender needs to catch something on fire. So that's where you get into the second phase, which is kindling. Um, this is added to the tender when it's burning. I recommend at least having the tender burning a lot stronger than just, you know, like, Hey, there's an ember on it. Let's go ahead and just Mm -hmm. dump a bunch of fuel on it kind of thing. And a good, a good benchmark for tender, like for getting all that together, you should be able to have enough to hold in two hands. Yes. That would ensure that you have enough tender to burn long enough to catch your kindling on fire and you can build up. So the purpose of the kindling is just to increase the size of the fire, and it create it creates the initial coal base. When you get to the kindling phase, this is where your survival knife, your your um, your hatchet, your axe, your tomahawk tends to come into play. Um, you can use it to produce uh, just copious amounts of kindling. You're going to be doing this by processing large pieces of wood. So you're going to be you fell a tree, you cut it down on logs. From there, you need to start like splintering it. That's that's about the size and consistency that you need. Well, and this is it's why we harp splinters. on right, and this is why we harp on uh, you know keeping all of your blades sharp, right? So the idea with kindling, you're you know trying to make it as small as possible initially, like almost to the size of your of your tinder, and then you know building up and up and up. So in the processing, you know you like you said you fell a tree, you fell a branch, you cut that bit cut that up into rounds you quarter it and you go smaller and smaller and smaller and if you get your blade uh sharp enough you don't even have to swing it anymore you can just run the blade down the length of the wood and you can Mm -hmm. make shavings off of that you know in you know in bulk 
you know, like you said, that's where the, you know, that's where your axe, your tomahawk, your knife comes into to play. That's where your time uh, commitment comes yeah. into play. You know, if you do the legwork up front, then you're going to have a higher rate of success with your fires. Yeah. So some of the kindling you need to be looking for and can use are going to be small twigs, uh, wood shavings, small branches, small sticks. It's common sense. You build up in size. You want to start small with your, your kindling or your tender. And you, you move need up to, in size with... Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, you, you want to build up in size, but with all of this kindling, you need to ensure that it's dry. Yes. You know, because you can rip a branch off of a tree, break it up. You can't call that kindling. No. You know what I mean? No. You would have to have an established fire in order to dry the wood and then, you know, and then burn it. So, you know, you're looking for that crack when you go to mm-hmm. to break a limb. But yeah, you don't need a bend. You you need a crack. Yeah. A bend just means that it's very, very wet and still alive. All right. I didn't mean to step on you. I just wanted to, you know, push. We're looking for dry. Right. No, you're good. You're good. It's 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 helpful to clarify. Sometimes people I mean, if they're new to this, they don't know. So Right. It it helps to to always specify. I know like some of our more seasoned guys are just rolling their eyes. Like, oh yeah, we knew that, but hey guys, the same for you. Respectfully. Um <laughs> respectfully, yes. <laughs> the same for you. Um so that leads us to fuel. This is your bigger stuff. This is what's actually going to be your actual fire. The wood you use as fuel should be about the diameter of your forearm at the minimum. This wood fuel does not need to be kept uh, dry to burn. It's helpful that it does, but it it will do more of a smolder if it's not dry. Um, it'll still produce a fire. It'll, it'll still eventually burn, but it'll just take longer to ignite. This all depends on the heat of the fire too, because if you have a really hot fire, it's not really going to matter too much because it will evaporate that water that's in there and it will catch fire pretty quickly. The kind of fuel that you need to be looking for is dead wood. Dead wood is the best kind of fuel because it will catch very, very quickly. You need to be looking for dead grass, uh, twist them into bunches, time together. That's good fuel. One that you pointed out to me earlier, actually before show was dried animal dung i didn't even think of this Mm -hmm. but a lot of the dung you're going to find out there is going to be plant plant plant-based animal dung a lot of like vegetarian animals yeah i think like uh like cow pies yeah cow pies like deer are going to eat grass rabbits eat grass so like their dung is going to be laced with undigested plant material and that will be dry especially if it's not fresh dung i should probably point that out it's just not fresh dung also like a sanitation hazard. Yeah. Don't be digging in fresh dung. Yeah. Don't don't be playing with poop. We ain't kids. Quit um, playing with poop. Yep. Also, uh, any kind of uh, fuel source like gas, so oil, diesel, gas, other fuels, um, when mixed with sand, it will slow their burn rate and prolong their burn time, which that's really what you want with your fire is burn time. Because your fire can burn really hot, but if it's going out, if you're burning through your fuel really quickly, that's not very helpful. Right. Because obviously if you're building a fire, you want it to last. Mm-hmm. So something else that you can use. Yeah, something else you can use with gasoline uh, instead of sand is styrofoam. So fire lays or fire structures. <laughs> so uh, a teepee. So this is the stereotypical uh, fire lay. Uh, you're shaping your sticks like a TP or like a cone as the structure burns uh, outside logs fall inward, mm-hmm. thus feeding the fire and uh, 
uh, just a note for this type of fire lay it burns well with wet wood yes yeah this is this is the the fire structure that you want to go for when you have wet fuel wet wood because it will it will dry it out in in mass mm-hmm. because all the logs are catching catching the fuel at the same time so even if all the logs are wet they're going to burn and they're going to evaporate the fuel the fire is going to evaporate all the water in it and it's going to dry it out and it's just gonna mm-hmm. there you go yeah. bob's your uncle right nice part about this too is you know in practice it makes you know a really uh, thick bed of coals in the center mm-hmm. because all those uh you know all the sticks falling into you know into the center uh just feeds it on and on and on and then if you right. need to you know, step away for a while that uh crust can build over you can open it up again and you know, just a little half coals there so the same principle it's i don't think you got it listed here uh, but one of the one of the uh, fire structures that I've seen is where you can take uh, four thick sticks and dig them or place them into the ground at uh, an angle. And then in the center, you put your kindling and then you pile your logs, your wood up those sticks that are at an angle. So as the center burns and it burns out, the rest of the wood oh, it's self-feeding. pushes down. So it self-feeds. I have not seen that before. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. All right. Lean two. So the lean two is a little more involved. You're, you know, like you said, you can push a stick into the ground at an angle. Uh, this specifically, you're facing the wind. Then you're placing your tinder deep underneath that stick. So, you know, as far back as you can, then you're mm-hmm. stacking killing on either side. You're standing up to kind of create a, I guess, a tunnel, if you will. Um, you light the tinder and then as the tinder lights the kindling, you add more kindling and fuel, uh, to that structure. And the reason why this works is because that, you know, that green stick that you drove into the ground. So you try that with, uh, you know, with a dry stick that's going to burn along with, you know, all of your kindling. Yep. So the, you know, the stick being green, having that moisture in there is, is buying your time. And the interesting thing also this came to mind um, about doing structures like this, and I see a couple of others in here, when you put the fire deep inside of a structure, what it's doing is, yes, it um, it will burn the oxygen within there, but what it's also doing is creating a vacuum when it mm-hmm. does that, and it's pulling oxygen in. So that will increase the actual um, temperature of the heat, the fire inside of there, and it's going to burn hotter because right. it's just – it's sucking – all that oxygen in and basically creating a little mini tornado. Yeah. And that's where you get like fire tornadoes, that kind of principle. The mini fire storm. oxygen in. Yep. Yeah. And you know, you can get into like the cross stitch and in the pyramid, but I just want to say like with these, with these structures, it's important to, to learn these because this gives you a framework, you know, after you mm-hmm. establish this, after you establish a log cabin or a uh, lean to, when you're, you know, when you're tending to the fire, when you're feeding the fire, it gives you something to build up off of. You're not having to restart every time, or you're not, you know, risking, you know, throwing the triangle out of whack, right? Because re- rebuilding your structure midway through a, a fire is is a pain and it is dangerous. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the cross stitch here. The cross stitch is dug out in the shape of the next. It's probably about a foot long by three inches deep. The tender is placed in the middle of the cross. The kindling pyramid is built above the tender, 
And the shallow ditch allows air to flow underneath the tender to provide a draft, which is basically what we we're talking about. It's sucking oxygen in and it's creating a higher temperature within there to help burn. Right. It's it's a great it's definitely a great structure. I that's that's one that I hadn't even I haven't used, but I can I can see I also how learned it would about be, it, you know, in the in the research phase. And mm-hmm. what I like about it is having you know, that shallow trench makes it so that you can't smother your tender. Which I thought was really, ooh, which I thought was really neat. That's a good point. Yeah, you wouldn't be cutting the oxygen off to the tender, right? Mm. By the good time one. that you know the you know the kindling falls down, you've already created a bed of coals. Ah, yes, that's nice. Yeah. So the next one is probably one of my uh, my personal favorites. One I usually like to to go with is the pyramid. So it's layers of parallel branches or logs that are stacked on each other. They're laid perpendicular to each other. The smaller and smaller than the previous layer, so it's hence why you get the pyramid shape because eventually they just get closer and closer together towards the top. So the fire starter is built on the top of it, so that it just burns from the top down, thus creating a longer life for your uh, your pyramid for your fire structure. This requires almost no care during the night. It's it's very similar to the one that I mentioned earlier, where the logs were built up at an angle, so basically an inverse pyramid. Um, yeah. But you don't need all the sides to it. You just need two. And yeah, this allows for the fire to burn at its own rate. And as long as it has fuel, you don't have to, to mess with it at all. Yeah, both those are really interesting. I've never you know, I've never played with a, a fire mm-hmm. like that, but that would be nice to not have to worry about it at night. There's one more I'm looking for. I think it's called like a Norwegian fire log or Finnish fire log. Um, yeah, where you split it, then you stuff your tinder inside, right? So technically, yes. What, what you do is... Um, you you don't split it all the way. You, you cut off a, a pretty big section, however much you want, okay. and then you drill a hole straight into the middle, and then you cut down at like angles all the way around so that it burns from the inside out. It smolders on the inside, but then the fire seeps out the side evenly out the side. That's cool. It's, it's a very good one. Yeah. Well, and there was one other one. Is that I call it a like a Dakota or a Dakota fire is the one where you like dig a hole underneath it, like a little, oh, like a little tunnel. There's no a smoke. One. Yeah. Yeah. There's no smoke. It burns super hot. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that one's called, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I don't Same principle called. as the, uh, the, uh, the cross stitch. Right. And then the last one that we mentioned today is the lock cabin. That's one that, you know, I use most often besides the, besides the TP. Uh, mm-hmm. You're just stacking layers and layers and layers of uh, of sticks that you've laid perpendicularly, so uh, against the grain on each other, and this creates a lot of light and heat, and also creates a large bed of coals. Uh, it's a you know in practice, it's a it's a good lay for uh, for cooking or for signaling purposes. And uh, we talked about this in the our first fieldcraft episode with our. Just get considerations, but we'll start with matches. So we recommend uh, storm matches or you know waterproof matches. Those come in waterproof container. They have uh, treating to the to the match head itself, uh, so they can be a lot of them. They can be struck on multiple surfaces, and they're wind and water resistant. Uh, lighters, bic lighters, zippo lighters. Um, I'd recommend the the bic just because you know they're 
super cheap. They last a long time. Something with the Zippo, that's a lot of upkeep. That's more of a more of a novelty item uh, yeah. because that you know that uh, that fuel can evaporate and tends to ev- evaporate very quickly. So yep. it doesn't really uh, meet the grade for you know for field work. You showed me something really cool in the in the pre-show that um, that little plasma lighter. Oh yeah, little electric lighter. So what did you say that was again? God, it's a horrible sound. Isn't it though? So it's a um, it's a USB charged. So I mean it's it's completely renewable um, as far as the fuel goes. It's it's basically just a the same principle as a spark plug. Mm-hmm. So when an electrical current runs through it, uh, the current jumps between two metal pieces and creates a spark. And it's wind wind windproof. I don't know if it's waterproof. I haven't really stuck this sucker in water, but you know, with electrical current, uh, that's probably one of the last things that I want to do. Um, no, no, go ahead and do it. Let's uh, see what happens. No, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good on that one. I'll allow you to do it though. That's for sure. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's great. We usually around the house to light all of our candles. It's so I want to head this off because I can go ahead. It's better than buying those freaking like huge, long, big, like campfire. Yeah, miserable. Because the fuel runs out on those. This year, I just I can plug this into mm-hmm. a, a wall socket and it'll recharge. Yeah, it's just, and I want to head this off before because I can already hear the criticism about the uh, you know it being you know USB powered. Mm-hmm. We have solar chargers now. Yeah. So if you wanted to use this in the field, you know, for an extended period of time, you could bring a solar charger. You said that's USB rechargeable. Mm-hmm. You're good to go. Absolutely. Just plug it in and plug and play. And away you go. Another one, metal matches ferro rods. So yes. uh, these need to be protected from other metals because they can be brittle. Uh, but if you get your practice in, get your hours in, these can potentially start thousands of fires. The one that... They're so easy too. Yeah, the one that you give to me, it's so the little ferro rod, but then also has the striker that you know hugs the mm-hmm. you know hugs the cylinder. So it comes down really compact, but I don't even know how many times I've trained with that and you can, it's barely scratched the paint off. So they last a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of time. Right. And those are the same principle as, uh, what, what has been used for thousands of years is a piece of flint and a piece of metal. You rub them together, you strike them together and it creates sparks. So rocks that are in the Flint family, quartz, chert, obsidian, agate, or agate, jasper, uh, the rock needs to be harder than steel. Mm-hmm. And then you're striking the Flint or the rock against a piece of carbon steel um, to, you know, to create that spark. Right. So the more, you know, breakage that you have, the more sparks, higher chance of success. Uh, also, some of the things that you can use, I mean, you mentioned electric plasma lighters, mm-hmm. um, road flares road flares are such a slept on thing it's, it's mainly because you you light them it they're one-time use you mm-hmm. light them they burn out they last but a long light, long time though yeah oh yeah you can light that sucker throw it into the fire itself and it will it will catch something it burns mm-hmm. at a high high temperature um another thing that you used that you mentioned earlier when we were talking about uh about kindling or uh, tinder was batteries you can use batteries together with um, 
I mean, you can use steel wool, but you can use other sources. Use a battery. As long as the two ends, or wherever your uh, positive and negative are, as long as they create a, uh, a circuit, they will cause electricity to flow, and it will create a spark. Mm-hmm. It will create a current. It will create heat, and it will catch something on fire. So, so a good application for this is your car battery and mm-hmm. jumper cables. So yep. everyone, I say everyone, probably not as not everyone's as stupid as I am, but if you ever connected, <laughs> you know your your jumper cables to your battery and then touch the other two ends, you're creating spark. Mm. So by that same principle, so you don't necessarily uh, need anything extra. But if you have those jumper cables, you can go into your tender, spark, you know, uh, break that sort a couple of times, you know, shoot those sparks out, and you know, away you go. I did want to add uh, on the road for layers. Obviously, they are designed for signaling. Obviously, they're designed to be as bright and last as long as possible. So that needs to be a consideration for whatever you're trying to do. If you're in a denied environment, in a hostile environment, road flare would probably be one of the last things that I would want to use. Just because, I mean, if you've ever seen Jurassic Park, if you've ever seen somebody (laughs) sitting on the side of the road, you see these things lit. They put off a tremendous amount of light. Granted, they are red. They put off light in the red spectrum, but still, you can see those things a long way away. Right. So keep that in mind. You mentioned in a couple other episodes the uh, like using a lens, like convex yeah. lens, like glasses or binoculars or rifle scope. Um, Hang on, before we get into that. Yeah, sir. So one of the things you keep in mind, if you're looking for road flares or batteries, check vehicles, check aircraft, uh, check electronic equipment. You can find batteries in most of these road flares. Obviously, you're not going to find it in electrical equipment, but, you know, Use your brain on this one. Um, two insulated wires are really all that you need with a battery uh, to utilize the method of the battery. The, the road flare, just light it, stick it in there, and walk away kind of thing. It's, it's set it and forget it. But mm-hmm. with the wires, you got to connect one to the positive terminal, one to the negative terminal, like we said. And like you said, once they t- touch together or touch some fuel, it's going to it's gonna create that. It's going to close that circuit, and you're going to get a, a fire. Um a short in this wire will cause a spark. I think you mentioned this. Yeah. Am I being retarded? No, you just mentioned it too. Okay. It's, it's, it's the principle. Okay. So yeah. Uh, those are the easy methods. The other ones that kind of create, that take a little bit of patience, um, get into those a little bit. I did also want to put a disclaimer that uh, Hard Time Strongman does not endorse shocking yourselves. <laughs> So methods that are a little more involved, uh, utilizing a convex lens. So uh, eyeglasses, binoculars, a camera lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, those focus the, glass, right? Those focus the sun's rays on a on a singular point. You do have to play with the depth that you're holding that lens at and the angle. But give enough time and focus, the sun's rays will uh, provide the heat that you need to to light kindling on fire. Uh, first method we'll talk about is the fire plow. If anyone's watched Castaway, this is the uh, method that Tom Hanks used in that role. Um, this is based off friction. So what you need to do is you need to cut a straight groove into a base made of soft wood. Then you're plowing the blunt tip of a 
hardwood rod up and down that groove. So this action wears off and pushes out small wood fibers and the friction from uh, you digging that rod up and down that softwood base ignites the ignites those wood fibers. So this is a big calorie, big calorie dump. So it's not the not the best way to do it, but the but the principle remains the same. And keep in mind that these methods that we're talking about are going to require a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of calories. So I would not recommend these as your first attempt. Right. At making fire. These are going to be like your kind of. These are your, your last dish efforts. So we're pulling this information from the army's field manual on survival. So this is more geared towards isolated persons. So isolated pilots, uh, people that are held behind enemy lines, people that need to do this to survive. So we are, we've always been, and we'll continue to push having contingencies, building in redundancies in your kit, in your planning, um, in, in everything so that hopefully you can negate getting to this point. Right. This is beyond but, like your primary, secondary and tertiary methods of creating fire. This is like, like you said, kind of a last ditch effort kind of thing where it's just like, well, crap, I don't have my ferro rod. Crap. I don't have a lighter. Exactly. And that's why I'm, we're, I'm, that's yeah. why we're teaching it is to mm -hmm. one, to give you that skill set, but also, um, we're still in our, you know, our level one kind of skill set. So we're, you know, this is the, these are the principles. These are the basics of creating fire. So we're trying to teach you these principles so that you can apply them uh, to your situation, what you have. And I will state this, this is stuff that we were not taught in the army. This is stuff that, because I mean, we never got taught how to create a fire in the army. That was one thing that we stayed away from. Cause it's like you had vehicles like survival was survival classes were few and far between in the army. We, we have gone out of our way over the years to learn these things and practice these methods so that we can bring them to you because this is stuff that's not usually taught. These, these methods are, you would only find these in like survival classes. Well, right. So the army, you know, has a logistics base, has, you know, has this, you know, this, this mass that you will not have, that you do not right. have, you know? So as an infantryman, I didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from. I knew that eventually I would get fed. Yeah. Whether that <laughs> Those was MREs are coming. Yeah. Whether that was a hot meal, whether that was MREs, whether the CO was out ordering pizza or we would get a <laughs> meal from an Afghani like my gut truck was coming. Yeah. Like I knew that I would get food. Like that was never a concern for me, but without having that logistics base, without having, you know, all the supply those line, yeah, the supply line, all, all those, uh, you know, all those cohesive units working together, right. You're on your own. That's, that's a concern. Now that's something that you have to, you know, constantly be thinking about. And planning for for sure. Oh, yeah, um, exactly. I mean, you will. The fact of the matter is, you will never stockpile enough. Yeah, you cannot stockpile enough. You cannot stockpile enough food. You cannot stockpile enough water, enough ammunition, enough equipment. You need to be able to source these things. 
be a squirrel. Cache that stuff. Cache that stuff, but also just have don't a plan forget to, where you buried your nuts. But have a plan for being able to to resupply that outside of your cache because right. you know you won't be able to cache enough. Right, you need to be able to source the stuff yourself. Right. So the next one we had here was the uh, the bow and drill. This is one that I'm actually very familiar with. This is one that I've seen a lot of, especially on survival shows, is the bow and drill. The fire plow is, in, in my opinion, the fire plow is a very inefficient method. Um, it, Like you said, it just involves like literally dragging a stick or pushing a stick along another stick and hoping to God that you create enough little tiny wood fibers and maybe some heat to ignite those. Well, it's a huge, it's a huge calorie dump is oh a God, lot of effort hair. yeah i do, i do not recommend that one at all any of these i don't recommend if these are like we said last ditch efforts but the bow and drill um so this requires a, a piece of stone two pieces of wood and a string you, you need a socket so this is a stone with a depression in one side uh it could be a piece it could even be a piece of wood but you're gonna need a drill so this is gonna be a straight uh seasoned piece of wood that's gonna be used to create friction on the fireboard or the stone whatever the socket itself, I forgot to mention this, is just going to be, it's going to hold the drill in place as it's actually rotated. So it's going to be... hold the top end of the of the stick. Mm-hmm. So you're pushing down while you're rotating the stick. And gotcha. that's what makes it so it doesn't roof up your hand. Like I said, it, it holds the drill in place <clears throat> while it's getting rotated. Um, so that your drill is just basically a straight season piece of wood. It's going to be used to create friction on the fireboard itself. This is what's actually going to be rotating. Your fireboard is just a, it's a piece of softwood. We should probably specify the difference between softwood and hardwood because it does make a difference, especially with, oh, yeah. at least in my mind with building, oh, but yeah. it does, it makes a difference with, with uh, fire as well. So your softwoods are going to be woods that are easily malleable, easily like broken apart, drilled into in this case. Uh, your hardwoods are ones that you want to, when you build structures, like these are the ones that people use as framework on houses. This is going to be stuff that you that you use as the actual like framework on your shelters if you build them. So you don't want those. Those are going to be hard. Those are going to be like, those don't break as easily. Those don't like fall apart like softwood does. Softwood doesn't necessarily fall apart, but it can, you can cause it to break apart very easily. It, it's a lot more fibrous. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so also after that, you need a fire pan, which is going to be a thin flat piece of wood um, or leather or other sturdy material. It's going to be used to catch whatever embers are made by the fire board, and then you're going to transfer them to a fire bundle. So you're not using this drill in the actual fire itself in the place, like right on top of where you're going to be making this. You're going to be, you're basically just creating embers. You're creating tender. Coals. Coals, yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, And then you're going to be transferring those to where your fire is. Um, so the last thing you need for this is a bow. So this is going to be a flexible stick, uh, but it's going to be strong so that it can hold its shape while you're doing this because this is going to be a very tedious thing. So uh, it's going to be flexible enough to bend like a hunting bow, but not um, but not flexible enough to where it won't, will not hold its shape. So what you do is you end up taking the bowstring and you tie it from one end of the bow to the other like you would with a bow and arrow. Right. Uh, but then when you do this, you loop it in the middle and loop it around your drill. But you need to be, it needs to be tight just because of the amount you're going to be 
bowing back and forth like you would see like a violinist do. There needs to be enough enough purchase from the string to the to the drill itself to where yes. it rotates with that string. And exactly. you know that bowstring that could be a strip of leather of of clothing. You could make a rope. It could be five fifty cord. Whatever you have a shoe on hand. String. a shoestring, yeah, whatever yep. you have on hand. But you know, like you said, it needs to be taught. It needs to be taught um, between the two ends of the of the bow, um, mm-hmm. and then you have to have that loop over that, you know, over that uh, over that drill. Right, exactly. And so when when you end up moving that bow back and forth, it's going to cause the drill itself to have a twisting motion. And when you do this, you put it all together. You're pushing down with the. Uh, with the socket, you're pushing it down to the fireboard, the drill moving back and forth, rotating, or not the bow moving back and forth, rotating the drill. You're going to create heat. You need to have some uh, tender right there so that when you do create these embers, you can just push them into them mm-hmm. and then transfer them to the fire. Because, man, this is it's such a drawn-out process. It's the same principle as a lighter. You're basically making an old-fashioned lighter with this. Mm-hmm. It's a pain in the butt. It requires a lot of calories. So um, something we should have said at the beginning. So the the fireboard, what you're actually drilling onto. So prep work for that beforehand. You need to you need to cut out a little divot where your where your drill is going to sit into. Mm-hmm. And then on the opposite end of that board, you'll cut a, a slit. So basically, that allows the wood fibers that you are you know that you are sloughing off that you're drilling off to fall mm-hmm. into that funnel and make that little pile of coals right and that's where and that's where your i think it's like the plank you said where it catches all the coals onto so it works in a system but you can't just you know start drilling onto a flat piece of of board you know you have right to, you have to do that work beforehand right Make it easy on yourself. Right. Because if you have a flat piece of board that when you start drilling, it's it's not going to stay in one place and it's not going to do what you need it to do. So no. do do a little bit of work beforehand, whether it's whittling out with a knife or an axe or a tomahawk, mm-hmm. whatever. Get get a that stone, little, that little divot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then the last one that we wanted to mention, uh, not nearly as efficient as you know, using a bow and drill, but uh, it's a <sighs> hand drill. So it's the same concept, the same principles as a bow and drill, but instead of using a bow to rotate your drill, you're using your hands. So that's where you're actually the you know, rubbing where you said rubbing two sticks together. That's essentially mm-hmm. the the action. So you're uh, rotating the <coughs> stick by moving your hands uh, over and past each other down the length of the drill, and then doing it again. I and hate again. this. And again, until you get that bed of coals, once again, I, I a huge, absolutely huge calorie this. dump. But I hate this method so much. Hate it or not, you might have to do it. I know. The hand drill and the fire plow are two of the most inefficient and calorie dumping wastes of time that I've ever known. I hate them both and I do not recommend ever doing them. But that's if you because have the you've time. had the, but that's because you've had the, you know, the equipment or, you know, whatever before, you know, before now that you didn't have to use them before. 
I, I will you know, find a way God. to do a bow and drill. I, I will not. <laughs> I will. I refuse to allow myself to be put into a situation where I have to use the fire plow or the freaking hand drill. They are so inefficient. They are. So, mm, it makes me angry just thinking about having to do them. Six. On I will do them, but I will not be happy about having to do them. Six. Season 12 of Alone with nothing. Well, you know what? I guess I'm not going to have a fire then if I can't make a bow <laughs> I and guess drill. I'll die. Yeah. yeah guess I'll die. That. I will be I would be so angry. Oh, I would I would not be able to be put on television. Uh, now that your anger is red hot, this was fire, guys. We wanted to we wanted <laughs> the to irony. the irony. We wanted to give you the the principles of fire building and just different uh, considerations for when you're making a fire in the field. This is a you know obviously a huge huge tool. This is life. If you don't have you know, if you are in a situation where you, you know, do not have that, uh, you know, that grace of shelter or anything else, you know, you will need fire to, to survive. So being able to use effectively, being able to, uh, you know, understand the principles of the how and why fire works the way it does, uh, gives you the, the tools to be able to apply it to to other tasks, to other things. It, sometimes it pays to be a nerd. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So key takeaways, guys, the fire triangle, heat, oxygen, and fuel. Protect your fire from wind. Be mindful that, you know, while a really great tool, fire needs to be respected because it will absolutely destroy you and your equipment. Sex, anything else? Be, mind, be mindful of your uh, caloric outputs, your caloric drains, mm-hmm. because you need to plan very, very carefully when you're when you're doing these things. Um, not so much when you have, you know, the easy way of starting fires, but if you have to manually uh, start a fire, you need to keep that in mind. Hundred percent. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. This was fire. Like, share, subscribe. Thank you all for your support. We'll see you all next time. Stay in the fight.